Awesome. Hello and welcome to another Tells Talks. Um, today I'm really excited about this one. We've got James Whitcomb uh, on the line over Google Hangouts. James, uh, how are you, mate? Good, Ben. Very excited to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me along. No, not a problem at all. Um, before we get into anything, are you able to just give a brief inf- introduction, who you are, what you do, why I've got you on the podcast today? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, I've been in recruitment for since 2005, so nearly nearly 15 years now. Uh, I'm a director at an agency called Smart Recruitment, and at Smart we work we recruit across a number of different industries. But probably the main background that I've had in terms of recruiting is uh, for customer service and sales based positions, mm-hmm. uh, and those types of roles in particular. You know, I like to think that um, you know they're very competitive roles because yeah. we get lots of people applying. Um, but also what we're looking for in those types of candidates are some of those softer skills or some of those mm. behaviours and attitudes um, that a lot of candidates um, can can teach themselves to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really good type of work to do because, yeah, we're looking for people with great attitude and empathy and positivity and those types of things. So I've uh, been doing, doing that for 15 years and I'm a, I'm a director at the agency now. Uh, and, and more recently, we also released a, a platform uh, called the Candidate Coach, so mm-hmm. thecandidatecoach.com.au, which is an online platform for job seekers. So at the Candidate Coach, you can go and watch a series of videos around um, you know, things you might need to be coached on, um, as well as download resume, a couple of templates and um, attend webinars and those types of things. So yeah, got a strong, strong passion for, for, for recruitment and um, probably even more so a strong passion for coaching job seekers because I've I've really seen throughout my career that it's not necessarily the best qualified or the best experienced candidate that gets the job. It's it's the candidate that applies themselves in the best way throughout the recruitment mm. process. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, yeah, I think he's the exact right person to have on our podcast, uh, just to give a little debrief around tells or the essential life skills. Our purpose uh, isn't so much to rework the wheel on any content that's out there. I think companies like yourselves are specialising in areas that we'll never be able to compete with, but our purpose is to bring information in a consolidated manner or to connect our target market, i.e. millennials, with the right resources so they can make informed decisions. So, um, yeah, right. re- really excited. So, um, entry-level so- candidates, ultimately, you... you focus on would you say that uh look yeah for example sometimes we recruit a lot of our recruitment is high volume so we might get mm-hmm. a bank or a financial institution or something someone okay. like that come along and say look we've got a real spike in work we need to recruit 30 mm-hmm. or 40 people and here's the criteria yeah now a lot of the time the criteria is, is softer skills so they might say we want a great work ethic we want somebody who um, can build rapport with mm-hmm. customers very quickly um, you know, the calls might be difficult, so we need somebody with resilience. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those types of things don't always show on a candidate's resume, for so example. True. So, um, and you, you can exhibit those types of skills at entry level. Um, so when we're recruiting for these roles, yeah, we are looking, you know, we, we in, in recruitment, we're not allowed to base anything on age, but we, we've got a very open profile mm. uh, to, to who can who ends up being successful, who ends up normally getting the role is, is yeah, who performs well uh, in the interview room. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. Um, and I, I think back to my first job, I, I had no real experience, but 
Um, I had extreme passion. I backed my work ethic um, and all I wanted was an opportunity. And I, I assume that the process you go through tries to identify those candidates that on paper may not have um, the experience potentially, but you can see through personality traits or the criteria that I'm sure you'll take me through through today um, that these candidates are worthy of of getting those types of jobs. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So um, we're just going to go through a bit of a sequence today. It'll probably take around... Uh, 45 minutes to an hour for this podcast. Um, a, a few of the topics that I want to cover off is the the life cycle of a recruitment process. So, firstly, around resume and cover letter, um, cover letters. Any tips you have, whether a cover letter is appropriate, uh, any suggestions you have, and then discussing. Mm. Sorry, James. Oh, sorry, you're gonna go through them all. But yeah, keep going. I'll go through them all and then um, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. So. Uh, the, the second topic is around first impressions and appearance. So from an interview perspective, um, ha- how you can influence that conversation effectively and um, what, what you look for in candidates. Uh, and then I've got some questions around the specific interview itself and um, the questions that you can answer. And also what you look for in uh, questions that interviewees ask to the interviewer. Um, I've then got some questions around post-interview follow-up. So how annoying should a candidate be? What's the expectations there? Any views you have on that? Uh, and then finally, we'll talk around when you're in the workplace, how you present yourself once you've got the job, and also how you can have influential uh, conversations and those difficult conversations within the workforce. Um, cool. So I'll throw it over to you. Resume and cover letters. Um, yeah, thanks, Ben. I think we, we got in touch over a post you did on LinkedIn around some questions around cover letters. Yeah. Um, look, a lot of, you know, you, you see a lot of commentary around people saying, oh, look, you know, resumes are a little bit old school. Um, and, and cover letters get, get swept up in that even more. So a lot mm-hmm. of people, there's a bit of a sentiment that cover letters, you don't, you don't need one when you're applying, mm. um, nobody reads them anyway, you know, that, that train of thought. Yeah. Um, however, you know, the, the, the two pieces of advice I always give, um, which is which is very practical advice, is, is firstly, with some of my colleagues, they, they like to read the cover letter before the resume. Mm-hmm. Um, so that cover letter for that application is actually bearing more weight than mm. the resume. Uh, now, the, the challenge if you're a job seeker is, you don't know whether you're applying to that recruiter or not. Mm. So, you know, leaving off a cover letter, if, if, if the recruiter prefers to read one first or at all, is just a huge risk. Uh-huh. And in a competitive marketplace, you can't afford to take that risk. I so I, I find it really, really surprising when um, even sometimes recruiters say, no, nah, don't bother about a cover letter because I don't read it. But that, that, that recruiter is not speaking for everybody. Yeah. So. Um, you know, when you are applying for jobs, the, the second thing to remember is there's only two things you can normally submit, mm-hmm. a resume and a cover letter. So, so why you would pass up on one of those two opportunities, mm-hmm. I find it quite, uh, quite surprising. Uh, it, it really bemuses me and, um, and I really uh, think that people who, you know, it, it, it makes it easy for job seekers, oh, I won't bother about the cover letter, you know, because I've heard people don't read them. Yeah. Don't, don't take that attitude at all. Uh, the, the more effort that you can put into your application, the more it stands out. Agreed. And if you are using a cover letter, it can really uh, you know, count to your advantage because I would say that, yeah, probably 
um, you know, half to, to two-thirds of applicants use a cover letter. Yep. So you can start to, and as, as I'll talk about today, you know, you want to start pushing yourself up into what we call, you know, a top 10% candidate. If only 50% of candidates are using a cover letter uh, and the recruiter wants to see a cover letter, well, then you're into the, you know, you're into the top 50% straight away mm. just simply by using, you know, by, by attaching a cover letter. Yeah, I um, I used to be anti-cover letters purely because I was lazy and all of the research yeah. that I've done now suggests otherwise. The analogy I threw up yesterday is compare Cocoa Pops and cornflakes. Um, it's a weird analogy, mm-hmm. but uh, Cocoa Pops sell for nearly a dollar more than cornflakes for the same amount of um, packaging. And the reason why is because they can market their product more effectively. It's actually not healthier, but they've effectively marketed their product. And that's what I see a cover letter being able to do. It's how it enables you to differentiate yourself. Um, facts are facts, your resume, but your cover letter gives some personality, some color to what you're applying for. Um, and it hopefully allows you to stand out. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the resume is, is quite factual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dates, it's times, it's qualifications, employers' names, uh, and, and the cover letter allows you the opportunity to kind of speak speak a bit more freely. So my advice with the cover letter, and I, I speak about this with resumes as well, is never submit the same cover letter twice. Yeah. So every job that you apply for is different. Mm-hmm. So every job application that you should submit should be different as well. Yeah. No, um, I'm not. I'm not talking about with resumes, which we'll come to a bit later. That you need to rewrite your resume, mm. but you need to highlight your strengths and skills and experience that are relevant to that advertisement. Yeah. So with cover letters, um, you know, the, the couple of basics that are really important is, you know, on on any advertisement that I place i always put my name at the bottom um and and i do so so that people can reach out and i know that a lot of ads don't have recruiter's details but i actually use it as a screening tool so Mm -hmm. my name is on the bottom of the ad yeah we go back to that example i've got 100 applications 50 have sent me a cover letter how many have addressed dear james in 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 their cover letter yeah because just that small little difference there shows me that the candidate is starting to put in some effort Mm -hmm. per application and again, you can use it to your advantage. I would say that if I get 100 applications with 50 cover letters, maybe 20 would actually include my name. Yeah. So straight away, I'm more favorably viewing the cover letter just by the first two words yeah. because I can see that they've taken the time. Now, a lot of cancers say, oh, look, it's really hard. You know, um, I, they don't put a name on it or, or whatnot. I don't know who to address it to. I, I would... I would challenge that this could be your opportunity to stand out. Agree. So if if there's no if there's no name on the ad, um, and the recruiter's going to get a hundred hundred applications, if one application includes their name on the cover letter, mm. well, I think that recruiter would be like, "How did this person get my name?" So, so a simple phone call to the reception and saying, "Hey, I've, I've seen the the advertisement for the customer service role. Would you mind just telling me who I can address my cover letter to?" Mm. I think that nine times out of ten, you will get the name. Um, and if you don't get the name, you know you haven't lost anything. But if you can get the name and no one else has the name, um, I think you'll you, you really spark the interest of the recruiter to pick up the phone and call you. And and that's the role of your resume and your cover letter is is to get to the phone interview. Yeah. So that that is the that is the aim there. Create enough interest that the person picks up the phone. So if you've got the only cover letter with the the recruiter's name on it. I think you'll get a call. 
No, I agree. And, and just on that, um, a little story of my own. I was building a team in my previous organization um, and there was a candidate, I'll call him out, George. Um, he's one of my good mates now. He, he works still at that organization. And he personally reached out to me on LinkedIn to ask who he should address the cover letter to, um, which I was very impressed with. Anyway, long story short, my manager actually looked at his um, prof, uh, his resume and didn't feel like he was a fit for the role um however he'd reached out to me personally and i urged her to give him a chance in the interviews um and we've now recruited him and he's been probably one of the best candidates i've ever hired uh so that's it yeah crazy just from a couple absolutely it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense so you know, if, if, if we talk about the, the, then the structure and what you need to have in your cover letter, yeah. to, to, to break it down, I'd say four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. The first, first paragraph is simply you mentioning your name, uh, the job title that you're applied for, yep. and, the, and the company. So again, here, we're kind of just reiterating that you have spent time tailoring your application. Yeah. So it could be, dear Ben, Please find attached my application for the customer service position uh, in Potts Point with ABC Company. Yeah. Um, so straight away, almost just by you know that having that sentence again, I'm like, okay, you know, here here is a candidate that has put some effort into their cover letter, and it sounds like a really small thing, but hardly anybody, hardly anybody, you know, even does that. So they might change the name and then they leave it. Yeah. But if you can then in that first paragraph just mention the name of the person you're applying to, the job and the company in question, then you're starting to really, uh, you know, show that you put some input in. In in paragraphs two and three, what I would recommend is starting to address, uh, you know, in paragraph two, you might mention um, a couple of your key skills that are relevant to the job. Mm -hmm. And this is why we, we, we need to tailor each cover letter because um, even if you apply for three customer service positions, they will all be looking for something slightly different. Yeah. So in that second paragraph, you might say something along the lines of, um, you know, in my previous role at, in, in customer service, I worked in a, an environment where I had to deal with up to 200 customers a day, yeah. um, which I believe would be similar in this role. Do you, so you paraphrase the job description, James? Like Sorry? Do you paraphrase the job description or reference the actual job description? You can. I, I actually don't think you need to necessarily go to that level. Cool. So what I would do, though, it's kind of the same thing in the paragraph I'm suggesting, but it's maybe yeah. just picking one or two points. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, for example, that, let's say it was a customer service role working for a software company. Mm-hmm. If you had a customer service experience working for a different software company, I would mention that in the second paragraph straight away Yeah. because that's a really um, strong strong link there. Mm-hmm. The first paragraph is, is, is introduced, you know, is, is addressing the role. Second paragraph is maybe two things that you're really good at yep. relevant to the ad. And then the third paragraph, you might mention a couple of things you know about the organisation. Mm. Um, so show that you've done a little bit of research here, not only into the job, but also into the organisation. Yep. And, and that, that research is, is pretty easy to do by Google, the company's website, their careers page. But, but maybe mention something you find, you found that that's really you know of interest to you and, and show... I guess why you would like to work for that organization, not necessarily for the job, but for the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last paragraph is just a, a simple sign off. You know, thanks very much for taking the time to read my application, Ben. Yep. Um, I'd be available for interview on short notice. So, a call so to it, action. It, it is just four paragraphs. Is it important, James, to have a call to action at the end to kind of entice that recruiter to give you a call? 
Uh, look, I, pro- probably nothing more than, than what I've said. I think cool. um, if you've got your contact details on there, look, the hard thing to know when you're applying for a job is, yeah, the biggest frustrations all candidates face is either not hearing back or when do I hear back? And, yeah. and sometimes you might apply for a jobs where the recruiter is calling applications, you know, as they come in. Some of them might advertise for a month. Yeah. Um, before looking at anybody, so you just don't know. So, Great. yeah, I think just signing off. You know, thanks for taking the time to read. I'm really, I'm really keen um, to, to to discuss my uh, experience with you further. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to chat at that short notice. So, and even, you know, if you so if, if you then write that cover letter, while well, you do need to change it for the application, you have got a bit of a template there. Mm. You have got a bit of a template there, um, and and once you've done once, you know, the second and, and, and third cover letter that you send off. Um, you know, it should, should take you um, a bit, yeah. bit less time. But if you, for example, if you actually go through all of those steps, Ben, mm. I would say from 100, as I said, 100 cover letters, sorry, 100 applications, 50 have cover letters, 20 use my name, you know, of, you know, 10 might change one or two other details. But if you go through the process I've just told you, you're in the top two or 3% of cover letters. Yeah, um, that's what you and want. And there's no... And, that, and that's exactly what you want. And, and what I'll, I'll mention a couple of times today is um, what you've done there is got into the top 2 or 3% of cover letters and it's got absolutely nothing to do with how suitable you are for the job. Mm. Um, so every everybody can do this. It's just about putting in the effort. Yeah. Uh, putting okay. the effort together. Um, what's your most memorable cover letter? Oh, look, you know, I... When I coach candidates around cover letter and resume, there's nothing wrong with a, a resume and a cover letter looking good, mm-hmm. um, so being visually appealing. Uh, think of your resume and your cover letter as an advertisement for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, this is a, these are two documents that you want to sell and promote yourself. So yeah. you, know, you don't go past any, any billboards or signs on bus stops that are just black text on white paper. Mm. Um, you know, so, so creating something that's eye-catching I know that photos are a little bit controversial on resumes or cover letter. I personally like a corporate headshot. Yeah. I think that adds a bit of personality and a bit of life to the page. Um, the, the, the best cover letters for me, it, it is that second paragraph where someone can go, you know, I've seen in the advertisement that you're looking for these skills. Yeah. Um, this is where I've done that, but also where I've done it really well. So yeah. not just mention they've done it, but said, you know, in my previous role, I was selling a similar software program um, and I achieved 150% of my target for the last two years. Yeah. You know, what, one, one little sentence like that just gets, you, gets me straight on my phone. Yeah. Um, so a, a strong, as you talk about a strong call to action, a call, a call to action is, is really just something for me that makes the recruiter go, oh, I've got to True. speak to this person because they've addressed in their cover letter or their resume exactly what we're looking yeah. for in this job. But, but not only they've done it before, but they've shown that they've done it really, really well. Awesome. Um, conscious of time, look, there's so much valuable yep. information here, uh, but I'm really keen to get your views on resumes before we mm-hmm. shift to the next topic. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's a, going over similar ground in, in some ways, resume, again, tailor it for every role. Um, probably don't need to tailor it quite as much as a cover letter because mm-hmm. the cover letter, we're, we're using more personal language. But look at, you know, for example, you might have a, an accounting background and a sales background, and, yeah. and you might be interested in working for both, you know, applying for both and seeing, seeing where you go with applications. You need two very different resumes there. Mm. Um, you've worked for the same companies, you've done the same jobs, but you're just highlighting different skills and experience. 
Yeah. Um, so again, look at look at the advertisement and go, okay, what are they looking for here? I need to make sure that's on my resume. Mm. Now, I'm I'm certainly not suggesting you lie on your resume, but with you know with your your most previous role, I normally say you probably want to list about six dot points of experience. Yeah. Um, but in your job, if you if you listed everything you did, you probably did 30 or 40 things. So you've got to pick the best six yeah. that are most relevant to what they're looking for in that role. My, my biggest coaching advice with resumes is uh, make sure you include achievements. Mm-hmm. So your responsibilities tell us what you did, but, but most of the time the recruiter has an understanding of what you did. So mm-hmm. if, again, if you worked in an accounting or a sales role, we have a pretty good idea of what you did. Uh, but the achievements part tells how well you did it, mm-hmm. and that is the key. So a role might be six dot points of responsibilities. I always recommend at least two, but ideally three dot points of achievements in the role. Yeah. Um, and this is really hard for some people because they, you might have been a good performer, but you didn't get any awards. Yeah. So or things along those lines. So you know, it, it's the, 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 a great question: is what were you doing when you finished the job yeah. that you weren't doing when you started the job? So maybe you were given responsibility to the lock up the store, for mm. um, or you're given the keys to the store, or you're given responsibility to train staff or onboard new staff. You know, think about the things that you were doing now that you weren't doing when you were started that are kind of like promotional duties. Yep. Um, you can list them as achievements because if you were asked to train new staff, you were asked to train new staff. You know, that is an achievement. You should be really, really proud of yeah, that. Yeah, the so, employers um, instilled some confidence into you um, to give you yes. increased responsibility. Yep, and it also shows you're proud of, mm. of, of that of that occurring. Yeah, um, you know, layouts of resumes. I think they are probably getting shorter over time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably I used to like about four pages. Now I'm probably more a two to three page. Yep. But it's all about page one. So the, there's a lot of stats out there that, on average, a recruiter will look at your resume for seven seconds right. before deciding whether to keep reading. So. You know, if you put your resume you know, face down on the table, get your stopwatch out, press go, turn it over, look at it for seven seconds, mm-hmm. it's not very long, turn it back over and think, was I able to easily uh, garner the key information about myself off there? So that's why, you know, job titles, laying it out with dot points, making it really easy to read, making it eye-catching is really good. Don't... Um, don't leave your best information for page two or three because the recruiter might not even turn the page. If they've got a hundred resumes for one job and, and they know in their heart that you know half of these candidates will be good enough to do the job, um, you know, luck can play a part, mm-hmm. without a doubt about it. So you've got to make it really easy and you've got to have a really good first page of your resume. And some candidates now only have a one pager. Yeah. Um, you know, the, again, the role of the resume is to entice the recruiter Give you a call yeah. so you can fill in the rest of the rest of the information. Awesome. So my key takeouts, or my key takeout from that, is it's ultimately comes back to effort. If you can apply mm. some effort and customization to both your cover letter and to your resume that applies to the job, uh, you have a higher likelihood of getting a call back from that recruiter. Mm. There's, mm. There's, Absolutely. Yeah. And it stands out more and more as the process goes on. So, yeah. well, the job of the resume and the cover letter is to get you that call. You know, when you walk into the interview and they're going to be holding your resume and cover letter, and often interviewing you will be somebody who hasn't phone interviewed you. So, no. um, you know, your your resume is having a second, you know, pair of eyes looking at it later in the process. And yeah. again, you know, once you get to the interview stage, you still want your cover letter and your resume to be really, really strong. Mm-hmm. So, 
if your cover letter said, you know, if you got through an interview and your cover letter said, dear sir or madam, um, and was just a generic cover letter, the next candidate they interview who's put a lot of time and effort into it, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they're, they're going to they're gonna stand out more than you are. Yeah, awesome. Um, I was going to skip over the screening process after a resume, so when the recruiter gives the candidate a call before they organize an interview, but did you want to add any um, brief tips around that process that candidates should be aware of? About being, pre- being prepared for a phone interview? Yeah, for a phone screen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So on the candidate coach, we've got a whole episode around creating an elevator pitch, Ben. Cool. Um, because normally when somebody calls you back about a job and you pick up the phone um, and they say who they are, you know, your brain freezes, you feel really nervous, mm-hmm. uh, your heart drops into your stomach and you, and you don't know what to say. So we, I really encourage camps to have a, a really strong elevator pitch mm-hmm. that they've prepared um, and, and have it printed out, save it, save it on your phone, have it printed out on the kitchen bench because then your eyes just got to drop down. Um, and again, with your resume and your cover letter, I'd encourage you to have a copy of your resume and your cover letter on, on, on your kitchen bench yep. um, so that when a recruiter is speaking to you, you've got all of the information there. Yeah. And when you're, when you're applying for a job, print out the job, um, maybe think of a couple of different questions and, and have all that information at your fingertips if possible. So on a phone interview, if a recruiter does say, have you got any questions for me? Um, you, you want to be able to come back with a cup, you know, this is a really good chance for you to impress. Yeah. So um, if you've got all that information at your fingertips, it's, it's really easy for you to look down and see it and to give some more color and some more examples to your answers. Yep. Um, because um, it is really easy to get a bit starstruck or frozen by nerves yeah. on that phone interview. So again, preparation is key. And if you've applied for a few different jobs, I think it's critical to know which job this is referring to. So keeping a log of jobs you've applied for and yep. the requirements of that job. Um, yeah. Cool. So um, the candidate has been successful in the phone screen and has been asked yes. to come in uh, for a face-to-face interview or potentially at the moment, uh, potentially at the moment it would be a... Um, Skype interview or Microsoft Teams. So what feedback do you have? uh, First impressions and then within the interview itself? Yeah, so I would... uh, Let's go for the traditional Mm face-to-face interview first and then I'll I'll give a couple of tips on on FaceTime or Zoom interviews. Cool. Start your preparation the day before. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, bearing in mind that a lot of people are going to feel nervous. And as recruiters, we're, we're expecting candidates to feel nervous, but yep. preparation is the key. So if you've got an interview at 10 o'clock tomorrow, you know, today I will get everything ready. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're a gentleman and you're wearing a suit, you know, make sure your suit's ready, you've ironed your shirt. You know, you don't want to wake up in the morning and find out that the shirt you're going to wear has got a stain on the collar. You know, get, get your clothes ready, polish your shoes, you know, print everything out the day before. Again, you don't want to wake up in the morning and go, I need to print out my resume so I've got a copy with me and your printer's run out of ink. Um, if you've been asked to do any testing, make sure you do that before. Yep. If you've been asked to bring along information, have everything re- ready um, and, and, and plan where you're going. So if your interview's at 10 o'clock, I'd say you want to arrive at the location you know, 30 to 60 minutes before. Mm. Um, don't introduce it yourself at reception till about five minutes before, but if, if something occurs along the way, you know, yep. you allowed for that. Um, so plan everything out and that, that'll allow you at least to go to bed at the night before knowing that you've, you've done all, all of your preparation. Mm. Um, 
in in the morning, you know, get up early, have a shower. You know, you need to be well dressed and groomed. Really important to have breakfast on the day of the interview, mm-hmm. um, not only for your blood sugar and your energy levels, but you know, this sounds quite uh, embarrassing, but you know, we often interview in small rooms, and a lot of candidates feel nervous and skip breakfast, yeah. and, and it leads to bad leads to bad breath. Yeah, right. Um, and and that, that can have a really, you know, it's not a great impression. Mm. Now, if you've got to sit in a small room with someone for 45 minutes who's got bad breath because they were too nervous to eat breakfast. So, yeah. you know, fill, fill your stomach, you'll, you'll feel better for that. Um, and so, you know, you've hopefully planned everything out. You've, you've arrived uh, at, the, at the location half an hour before, maybe sat downstairs, uh, got to reception five minutes before. Um, and then the, the actual first time you meet the person, you know, it's just a simple, a firm handshake you know, looking them in the eye yeah. with a smile and thank you. Thanks very much for meeting me today, Ben. I really appreciate it. Um, and so if you've done all of those those small steps, well, then, then you're off to, a, you, know, you are off to a good so, so using but, the you know, employer's running late, name, right? James, using the employer's name, I think you just called out, is, is quite critical in that first mm. initial contact. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, people um, like their names being used, yeah. you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes, and don't, when, when our receptionist, for example, people think, uh, underestimate the role that she plays. Yeah. So when someone comes for an interview with us, mm. the receptionist will let me know, and then she'll provide any feedback. She might go, oh, that'd be rude with me. Yeah. Uh, or, hey, um, you know, they look well prepared, they ask for you by name, or all those types of things. So you're on show straight away. But, yeah, addressing the person by name, thanks very much for seeing me, James. Straight, straight away, I know this person um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they've done a great deal of preparation, but at least they know who they're meeting. Because yep. not everybody, when they come for an interview, they say, oh, I'm here for an interview at 10. It was with a lady. Mm. Um, so, you know, use the person's name and, and, and use it a couple of times in the interview if you can as well. And before we get into the actual interview, I'm really keen on your views on appearance. And look, well-groomed <clears throat> is non-negotiable, but... Uh, are the days of wearing a suit to an interview gone, in your opinion, or do you feel that like that still gives a good representation? So what I would do, the, the best way to answer this, because it's a tricky question, mm. and, and dress standards are relaxing a little bit for interviews. Yep. It depends on, on the role. So if, if you've been invited in for interview, ask, what would be appropriate for me to wear? Um, there's you know absolutely no harm in asking that. In fact, I would ask, what should I wear? Who am I meeting with? Uh, and, and what should I expect? Yeah. They might, because then you're going to learn, it might be just a, a standard interview questions or they might say, we'll put you through an assessment or you'll meet three different people or we're mm-hmm. going to do this role play. So there's, you know, a lot of people go, oh, great interview, fantastic. When is it? Tomorrow at 10, great, bye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, this is a great opportunity for you to ask three or four questions that are going to allow you to prepare more. So, yeah, I would say what would be the appropriate dress code? Um, you know, if you're going into a graphic design office where it's pretty cool and funky and they've got a, a loft warehouse style with graffiti walls. Yeah. You know, if, if you rock up in a in a in a double breasted pinstripe suit with a with a pocket square, you're probably gonna not fit in well. Yeah. Whereas if you know, whereas if you wore that to a a, a corporate role uh, with a bank, that's probably what they're expecting. Yeah. That's um, a good point. I would say always err on the side of formality, though. Yeah. If you are not sure wear a suit and tie, if you get to reception and no one's wearing a tie, you can just discreetly take it off yeah um but i, I would you know people are probably you know i'm seeing more and more examples of, of too much casualness mm. um you know ending up with, with adidas um you know street shoes on or, or something along those lines um you know i think for gentlemen you nearly always should be wearing a blazer yeah um, it might not be a blazer with the collar shirt it might be a blazer with a t-shirt but i think 
you know, showing that you have put some effort into your, your dress yeah. code is important. But you know, at the same time, if you are going for a, a blue-collar warehouse role, um, you know, it's just about being, being neat and tidy. So yeah. a pair of slacks and a collared shirt might just be, be yeah. enough. But you'll you take the mystery out of it um, just by asking. Great. So we're now in the interview. I'm keen to get your thoughts on a couple of things. Um, some <clears throat> curly questions that interviewers often ask. And then how candidates should answer those questions or any questions in terms of the length of the answer they should pro uh, should provide and also the structure or a templated guide as to um, how they should be answering questions. Yeah, look, curly questions are a funny one because I, I tend to find that curly questions um, are only asked by recruiters who um, aren't very good at interviewing. Okay. So uh, a good, experienced recruiter will, will kind of almost ask the same questions to every candidate. Mm. They've got their, their interview um, method down pat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are focusing more and more these days on making sure we're not showing um, any bias. Uh, and, and so unconscious, you know, being aware of unconscious bias, yep. which is where, you know, you might be, um, you know, you might unconsciously favour a candidate for, for a reason that's got nothing to do with the job, for example, you know, if we like the same football team, um, you know, that's that's got absolutely nothing to do um, with the suitability of a candidate. But as, as humans, we, we can't help that. Um, you know, schools is a big one, for example. We can't help um, but uh, you know, be you know, feel an affinity with someone who went to the same school as us. So, but there there, there are types of curly questions. If you get a really odd question, like I've, I've read some articles where. You know, I think Google, for example, some of their interviews would ask graduates, you know, to ha how many how many windows are in the CBD. Um, now, no nobody knows the answer to that question, and they're not actually looking for you to find the answer. What yeah. what they want to see is how, is how do you go about it? Logical um, reasoning. You know, yeah. Do, do you just sit there and take a guess, or do you go, or do you say, look, do you mind if I get a pen and paper out and yeah. like, write down, okay, I, look, there's eight blocks, there's twenty buildings with. 100 windows like you know they, they, we want to see the process that that you go through so with any question if you think it's a really tough question sometimes we're not always looking for somebody to find the answer mm -hmm. um you know we're looking for somebody to um show us how um show us how they've um you know thought that their way the way through that so cool. in, in terms of when you're actually in the room the other thing I would, I'd mention to take the interview is particularly if it's for a professional or a white collar is to take a compendium Ben um, a compendium is like a, a black zip up folder and mm -hmm. in that you can take a copy of your resume and, and some other documents you might need yep. you can also take along a copy of some pre-written down questions um, again I really like it when a candidate turns up with a compendium because um, you know, it, it shows to me that they're professional, they're prepared. Yep. Um, and if, you know, if I can, if they open it up and I can see they've written down some notes or something on the job, you know, it gives it, it gives off a really good impression. Um, but one of the key things before we quickly get to questions in the interview room is, you know, people forget kind of what you say and they remember how you make them feel. Mm. Um, and that's why that warm smile handshake looking somebody in the eye yeah i um, you know, if you can if you can make the interviewer feel confident um then you are going to really um help them feel good about you so some other things you can do is you know is 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 is, is, is as you said use the person's name that's a really really good one 
Um, be be confident in in your own answers. So, and in your own mannerism. So the way you're sitting in the chair, sit up straight. Uh, look the interviewer in the eye. Um, often candidates feel nervous, and that can lead to people looking down. James, but with that to... one, sorry to cut in, yes. but I've got a really interesting question. If there's two people interview, interviewing you, and one person mm. asks you the question, what do you recommend mm. from an eye contact perspective? Do you make majority of eye contact with the person um, that's asked you the question, or do you try to uh, direct the answer to both people interviewing you? Yeah, I would say I'd direct, I'd probably spend three quarters of the time looking at the person who asked the question. Um, They're kind of both asking it together because they've probably got a list and they're just taking Mm. turns, but it's always best to address the person that's asked the question, but you don't want to leave the other person sitting there feeling like they're the third wheel, so to speak. Yeah, that's my my Um, take out. I've interviewed a little bit and... um, people will often direct either to the more superior person in the interview or to the person asking the question, which I, th- I think is fine. But still remember that you have someone else sitting in that room and you need to make them feel yes. like they're involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, the more people in the interview, probably sometimes the more challenging, but it can be a little bit easier to build rapport if there's three people. Mm. Sometimes when it gets to a panel interview, which can be four or five interviews, that, that can be quite hard. Yeah. That can be quite cold, but it, it's normally... Probably, you know, that's normally more at a very executive yeah. level of recruitment. So, yeah, eye contact really important. Um, have open body language. So, you know, don't sit there with folded arms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have a, have a, have an open posture. Talk with your hands if you like. Yeah. Uh, you know, wherever you can, show that you're actively listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and try to show some personality. Don't don't be afraid to use a little bit of appropriate humour. Mm. Um, yeah, the the, the, the interviewers are also. Whether they realise it or not, you're you're looking to potentially be their colleague. Yeah. So you know they're they're judging you sometimes very much so, but even if, even if they don't realise, they're judging it. Judging is this person somebody I want to work with? Yeah. Um, so if if you can leave the interview room having made them feel comfortable with you, um, you know if they like you, um, again we've got we're not talking about anything to do with the job. It's all going to count in your favour. Yeah, that's... But some of the practical things in terms of what you can actually do mm-hmm. to stand out in the interview room, when I think about the council have really stood out to me, they, they've nearly always done two things. Yep. And it comes back to the cover letter. They've shown great knowledge of the organisation through their own research um, and they've shown great knowledge of the position um, and, and what it would take to be successful in that position. Right. Awesome. They are two tips that I'll definitely chop up from this podcast and throw up on the socials. I think they're critical. Um, And all I'll add on to that is, uh, it's a quote I read a while ago, you can always teach skill set, but it's a lot harder to change someone's personality. Um, And where I'm trying to get to on that is, I think it's really important to demonstrate your personality in an interview because if uh, those interviewing you see you as a really good culture fit for the organisation, they're more likely, I'd assume, to um, look at hiring you rather than someone that has a really good skill set but may not uh, match the the culture fit of the business. So don't be shy to display your personality. And one thing that's really peculiar at times is when I speak to you know an organization that we're recruiting for and they might have met a candidate that I put forward mm-hmm. you know when I say how did they go I, I will often get the often the first thing they will say is 
I really liked them mm-hmm. or, or I didn't like them. Yeah. But they don't they don't say, hey, the, the first thing they say is not, yes, they were a really well qualified and suitable candidate. Yeah. It, it's around likability. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that's probably not technically the way people should be recruiting. But as humans, we can't yeah. help to feel that. We've got feelings and emotions. So if you can use that to your advantage yeah. in a competitive process where, you know, there might be a lot of people who can do the job, um, you know, building that rapport, showing personality and being likable um, can, can get you over the line. Yeah, great. Um, in terms of questions that you should prepare to ask the employer um, in an interview, do you have any recommendations as to how many you should ask or what types of questions you should be asking? So I would be prepared to ask two or three, cool. um, but to interview, you know, I'd take that compendium along. I've written down seven or eight yep. because quite easily some of them could have come up. You want to avoid questions around, you know, what's the salary, what are the hours? Yeah. When I ask a candidate, have you got any questions for me? Again, this is an opportunity for the candidate to show the level of research they've done. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage you to ask a question that, that shows you've done some research. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm just making up hypotheticals here, but you might say, um, I, recent, you know, I read in the newspaper last week um, about the merger between your company and this other company. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you think that means long term? So straight away, you're like, oh, wow, okay. Mm. That's, that's an impressive question. Yeah. Um, it's kind of got nothing to do at all with the candidate or the job, but they're showing that they've done some research here. Yeah. Um, or you could use it to show off some of your skills. You might say, um, you might say to me, look, it hasn't come up yet, but I've actually been trained in ABC. Um, you know, would this particular, you know, how, how would that training help you think in this particular role? Um, but again, show you've done your research there. Um, yeah. don't, don't ask about something that's on the ad. Don't ask about something that's come up in the interview unless you want further clarification. Mm. Um, I, I really find it disappointing when I get to the end of the interview and I say to the candidate, have you got any questions for me? And they go, oh, no, you've answered everything. I yeah. think, oh, you know, you're missing a really good opportunity here. This is kind of the only period of the interview where, you know, you can direct what we talk about. So don't mm. go unprepared is probably the, the biggest thing there. Yeah, and I think um, my, my view on interviews is always you want the employer to want you as much as you want the employer. And the way that you get employers to want you is by asking those inquisitive questions, by obviously demonstrating your skill set, but demonstrating the value you can add to an organisation. It shouldn't just be a one-way dialogue. Um, yes, so I think that's, that's right. Great. Um, cool. So we've got through, and I'm conscious of time, we probably have about 15 minutes left. Um Yes. The, the next thing we, we've got through the interview, and just assuming it's, it's one interview, um, is there any tips on whether you should follow up post-interview, uh, how long you should wait to hear back? What, any tips on that? Absolutely, yep. Absolutely, my colleagues and I love getting a follow-up thank you email. Great. Um, within 24 hours, it can just be a one or two-liner, Hi, Ben. Thanks very much for meeting with me this morning. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with me the details of the role. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got any other questions, let me know. Yeah. Uh, an email as short as that is always well received. You're improving your likability. Mm-hmm. Um, you're showing you've got good communication skills. Um, you know, you're not imposing on, on the recruiter at all. Yeah. Um, and again, probably less than 10% of people do it. So I would really encourage you to do that every single time. An email is an email is plenty, and you should have the person's email address there. 
Um, in in terms of getting feedback, you can ask at the interview. Um, I, I would just you know you humble yourself and say, hey Ben, um, you know as we as we finish up here, any advice you can give me on my interview technique? I haven't been for many interviews. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll you'll get something there most of the time, or, or they might not be able to, but you've you've lost nothing. Um, but also an interview room at the end, just saying, yeah, would you mind providing me with a time frame on the next steps? Mm-hmm. Uh, they might say, oh look, we're meeting candidates over the next three weeks, so we'll be back to you in three or four weeks. Yeah. Or they might say, oh look, we're in a real hurry, we'll get back to you by the end of. Um, you don't want to be following up with them all the time if it's going to be three weeks. Yeah. But if they say it's going to be a day or two and you haven't heard, there's nothing wrong with um, getting in touch. Um, you know, just be conscious that recruiters, um, you know, might have lots of people to get back to. And um, a lot of the time, even though it's not a great excuse, a recruiter might not have gotten back to you because they just don't have an update. Yeah. But there's there's no harm in you, you know, putting in a polite call. Um, just for an update on on your application and, and and showing your enthusiasm. If you've been interviewed a, a week ago and you hadn't heard, I'll I'll want you to be following up. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, if if someone's not getting back in touch, I'm probably thinking, oh, they're not very interested in that particular job. Because, so um, the yeah. two callouts here, I think, James. The first one is um, that you need to ask or understand expectations at the end of the interview. So um, ask the employer how long they think the process will take. And then once you understand those expectations, you can proactively reach out after that date or after a certain point of time uh, to get an update if you haven't had one yet. Yes, absolutely. That's a good summary. Um, Cool. So you've been successful for the job. Um, that's awesome. It may be your first job, it may be a completely new organization, a new industry. And um, you're really conscious around making a good impression within the, the workplace. Um, so th- this is a very broad question, but how do you present yourself as a, as a newcomer? Um, whether you have a, a really good skill set or if you are a new starter, is there any variances in there or is there any guidelines you can provide? Yeah, I would say to treat your first three months like um, a trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you've been offered a permanent job, you know how how you establish yourself in that organisation. You know, it's a bit like a first impression. So, mm-hmm. you know, I read a funny article once that said if you're if you get to work early for your, in your first thirty days of the job, everyone will think you get to work early all the time. Yeah. Um, because that's that's been the first impression. I look at Ben; he's only been here for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but he's he's the first one here in the morning. You know that that type of thing. So, um, I, I get you know really disappointed when I help people find work, and you know the feedback early on is, oh, you know they've been late a couple of times, or, or attitudes really really poor. Even if it's a permanent role, you are still under probation. Yeah. But you know, ha- you know, if if you can demonstrate very very quickly some of the small things that have got nothing to do again with your job around you know, attitude, personality, work ethic. Um, yeah, getting to work early. You know, if, if you're supposed to start at 8.30, aim to be at work at 8.15 every day just for the first month. Yeah. Um, you know, the, that, that, that will speak absolute volumes and people will notice uh, and maybe leave 15 minutes late as well. Yeah. You know, it sounds like an extra an extra bit of work, but you're going to create a great reputation as, as a hard worker by getting in a little bit early and leaving a little bit late in, yeah. in that first month. It differentiates now, yourself is, as well, yeah, James. You talk around the top 10%. Like, how, how do you yes. become that top 10%? I think the other thing is introducing yourself to everybody, you know, humbling yourself and say, hey, my name's James, I've just started here, nice to meet you, you know, which department do you work in? Yeah. Um, you know, if you, you can meet people really quickly like that, 
it's a lot, bit like starting at a new school. Everyone feels quite nervous, mm. um, but everyone else who's already in the organisation is quite interested in, in this new version. So, you know, be, you know, again, in, you know, be the one to introduce yourself to the other person, uh, find out where they work, which yeah. department, what to do. You, you'll probably forget everybody, but, you know, oh, gee, that, that Ben guy, he's really friendly, isn't he? You know, you're creating a, a, a quick um, reputation for, for being, a, you know, yeah. somebody in the workplace um, who the others, the others want to be there. So important. Um, the, the, the other thing is asking your manager early on, you know, can, can, can we set a 30, 60, 90 day plan here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this role, but I want to get an understanding from you on, on what you would be expecting me to be doing or to have achieved yeah. after one, two and three months. So get on the front foot. Yeah. Don't wait for your manager to necessarily come to you. Show them, um, you know, that you're, you're really keen, that, mm. that you've got some initiative and that you're driven and say, what, what, what would you be expecting me to do at a 30 or 60 or 90 day mark? And what can I do to really impress you Agreed. over that period of time? Proactivity. So that's what we want to know, but people are too shy to ask a lot of the time. So just ask. Yeah, and, and the big call out there is, um, like it or not, managers are often busy. And so if you sit on your hands and wait for a manager to give you guidance, often it will take longer than you than you want or than you expect. So if you can be proactive with working with them to establish a plan, potentially suggesting some stuff that you, some things that you want to achieve after you observed how the business works, I think that's critical to getting your manager's buy-in into your philosophy and, and how you want to deliver as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Good point. Uh, the, the other call out that I wanted to make is, um, and I've been burnt by this um, in the past, so I'm quite um, proactive in how I want try to deliver work. I'm also quite confident in my mm. ability. However, if you come in to an organization, don't really understand the operations of an organization and don't deliver anything mm. but try to make change, I think you can get burnt. It's really important to deliver mm. before you try to influence rather than influence before yeah. you deliver. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, it's kind of like an old school view, but, you know, just kind of you know, head down, bum up, you know, yeah. get in there, produce some good work, um, exactly. you know, produce some really good work. Don't, 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 don't try to stand out for coming in and rocking the boat, mm. um, you know, perform, perform really, really well in your job. And then, then over time, because you performed well, people will value your opinion yeah. and you'll be able to have some influence. But yeah, if you get, if you get that order wrong, yeah. uh, it's never going to work. No, I agree. Um, and then the final point before I, I get you to give a little summary is difficult conversations. Any tips you have on how to manage those? They may be asking for a pay rise or even if you're not performing, um, if you feel like you're not getting on well with your manager or even stakeholder management. Is there any guidance or guidelines yeah. you have? The pay rise one, we've got a whole episode on the candidate coach around cool. salary negotiation. Um, it's a tricky one because you know most people feel pretty uncomfortable talking about their salary, whether it's um, you know, whether they're employed and, and negotiating a pay rise or, or, or for a job offer. Yeah. If you are wanting to negotiate a pay rise, you really need to, pre- you know, prepare again. You need to come and show, okay, I'm on $60,000 and let's say you want 70. Mm-hmm. You need to demonstrate why. So you need to demonstrate why firstly through the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've just been an average performer and everyone else is on 60,000, yeah. they're not going to be 70,000. So you need to be realistic. But now if you can go to your employer and say, look, I'm on sixty thousand. I've been here for three years. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, in the top twenty percent in terms of performance. I, I managed this particular project. Now you're you're providing some, you know, uh, reasoning there, 
And then looking external as well and saying, look, I've seen these other jobs advertised that mm. have the same role, but that, that is what they're paying. They're paying $70,000. So I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I absolutely love working here, yeah. but I feel that my value is $70,000, not sixty. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to, yeah, you, you can't just sit there and say, I want more money because we all want more money, but you've got to demonstrate that you've done the research and yeah. put forward a really, really strong case. You also need to be conscious of the fact that it might not always be received well. If you work, for example, in an organisation like a government organisation where salaries are banded, there's no room to move. So, you know, asking for an increase when you're not in the right role is just probably going to be embarrassing because even if the manager wants to give it to you, they're not allowed to. Um, So it all comes back to the research and the preparation. So I'd add on to that just briefly, and the word I use is leverage. Um, What you really want to do is prove yourself uh, in an organisation that you've provided enough value value that if you were to leave the organization there would be quite a substantial loss that's not easy to do that yes. takes time but if you can prove that if you were to leave the value that you provide would be lost to that organization you're more likely to be able to get a pay rise um, versus someone that's quite easily replaceable because they just do the basics and um, that, yeah yeah role can be replaced easily. Yes, and, and that's why if you're just an average or a poor performer asking yeah. for a pay rise, is, is, it's, it's probably going to show you very out of touch. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Um, and then other difficult conversations, stakeholder management mm. or anything around that? Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, stakeholder management is, is, is tricky. I think, you know, the, the third, you need to, you know, if you're dealing with senior people from different departments, mm-hmm. um, it's always respectful to, you know, and if you're struggling at all, it's always respectful to go to your own manager yeah, um, and, and, and to seek their counsel and say, look, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with Tom from here and Sally from here. I'm, I'm really struggling to get them on the same page, but this is really important. Yeah. You know, how, how, how have you gone about it? Or what would you suggest? So, um, you know, managers always like it when their employees come to them to ask for suggestions around mm-hmm. how they would handle the similar situation. So yeah. I, I would, I would, tend to, to go that way, you know, as often as I could. Even if you think you, you've got the answer and you're going to handle it, mm-hmm. your manager feel like they're a part of it, um, often bodes well. Um, mm. But look, there are, there are a lot of tricky workplace situations. There is. I think, you know, if, if you know, with difficult conversations, um, you know, one thing I've always learned is, um, you know, if you've, if you've made up your mind that you need to have a difficult conversation, just sleep on it yeah. one more night before you have it. Um, you know, whether that's, you maybe need to discipline your own employee or you want to bring up something with your manager that um, is going to be awkward. Um, you know, doing it on the spot can often lead to it coming across the wrong way. So just going home, having a think about it, talking to your partner or your parents or a friend and just saying, this is what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, your, your thoughts can often mellow yeah. uh, towards, um, you know, maybe the more appropriate way to talk about it. So just having a bit of a think. Yeah, great. The um the last thing I'll add to that it could be a little bit controversial, but um I think you need to respect rank, but you shouldn't be intimidated by rank. Um, what I yep. mean by that is that everyone's equal. Ultimately, uh, they may have a higher role than you, but uh, don't be intimidated by that higher role. They're a normal person. If you feel like you can have a one-to-one conversation with that person, you should do it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Uh, we've got two minutes, James. Um, do you want to just quickly wrap up and give our your five top tips for becoming a 10% candidate? 
Five top tips. I'll see if I can get five out. <laughs> I, look, the, the key, absolutely, no doubt, is preparation. Yep. Um, I hear job seekers say I've applied for 50 jobs today, um, I, and, it, it took, and it took them two hours. You, you shouldn't really be applying for a maximum of two or three jobs a day because you need to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you could go out and send your resume right now to 100 jobs in an hour, the job boards allow you, or you could apply for one job and really tailor your application, mm-hmm. and you, I know which one's going to get you a better response. Yeah. Later. So preparation is the absolute key. Cool. Um, the second one is show your achievements mm-hmm. on your resume, on your cover letter, at your interview. Don't just talk about what you did. Show how well you did it. Yep. The third one um, is 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 be, being likable. Mm-hmm. So making people around you in the interview process feel comfortable. That's going to really really help. Uh, the fourth one we haven't really touched on this today is, is being responsive. So if a recruiter calls you, leaves you a voicemail. They ask you to follow up with something after the interview, for example. Yep. They ask you to send through some information. Be responsive and do it really, really quickly uh, because your actions speak louder than words. Yep. Uh, and probably, are we up to five? I think we're up to yeah, five. five. Probably the last one I'd say, particularly at the moment, Ben, is don't be disheartened by not getting mm. the job. Uh, in my 15 years, we've never had less vacancies and we've never had more candidates. Yep. So there's a lot of people looking for work at the moment who, who are really struggling. It's actually got nothing to do... With, with them, it is just the market. It yeah. is really, really tough. So don't get too disheartened. I know it sounds easy to say, yeah. but there are there are literally tens or hundreds of thousands of Australians deserve to be working who are struggling to find work at the moment through no yeah. fault of their own. Agree. Um, to that point, though, I think it's even more critical right now to try to differentiate yourself from others. So don't be disheartened. Mm. I'm sure there's great candidates that still aren't getting roles, but equally, the poor candidates are getting stripped out of organisations because they're just not adding any value. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Uh, truly, James, this has probably been one of the best podcasts I've done to date. Uh, sorry to all the other people on podcasts, but uh, I've received so much value and I think my listeners will too. So uh, before I let you go, I'd really like you to give um, a shout out of your socials or where we can find information that you've referenced in this podcast. Yeah, probably the best thing to do is, is our link page, yep. uh, The Candidate Coach. Um, it is all just one word, The Candidate Coach. So jump on there and you can you can give us a follow. We post daily content on there. Cool. Uh, or if you actually want to take out a subscription, you can access all of our content for two months for $99 at uh, candidatecoach.com.au. Awesome. Do you have Instagram? I do have Instagram. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've created it. <laughs> Uh, because I should, not that, because I'm a big user. Uh, so I am on there. I couldn't tell you what my handle cool. is, well, uh, but I, I do post on there. We'll give you a shout-out on there. Um, we'll stick your details on the website as well. So we're trying to build a platform that connects uh, the right individuals to the right uh, industries or organisations. So that, that's one of our purposes. So we'll um, stick your details on our website, throw it up on Instagram, um, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of interested people that hopefully get in touch with you so you can help them out along the way wonderful thanks James I really appreciate it mate have a great day no worries you too thanks Ben thanks